Radio for Brainpot from the City of Light. It's also called the smartest city. I'm not sure whether it's the smartest city in the world, but it is a city with a very large, very high number of patents per inhabitants. 22 per 10,000 inhabitants. But it is also the city with a very high number of people scoring clinically on autistic spectrum disorder. 229 per 10,000 inhabitants in this region. And that according to a scientific paper published in 2011, the Journal of Autism and Development Disorders. We hope later today also to talk to uh, Barry Prezant, a researcher in this field, but already in the program from the United States, Teddy Lytle, you are the Associate Artistic Director of the Spectrum Theatre Company. You work with people with the Autistic Spectrum Disorder and you make theatre. That must be a fun and interesting combination. Yes, yes. We're, we're actually the Spectrum Theatre Ensemble and we are specifically a neurodiverse theatre company. And so we do uh, uh, spe uh, uh, specialize in accommodations for those on the uh, autism spectrum and those with PTSD. But we uh, specifically uh, group neurotypical folks with neurodivergent folks to work together uh, and create professional grade theatre. And do you feel like a therapist or... Making theater and having fun. You know, it's funny you say that. I came into it with that perspective that I'd be somehow a mentor or a counselor. And I can tell you that I've learned just as much from my um, uh, autistic fellows as they have from me. I am just a colleague in this. Uh, and I've been learning along with uh, my fellows. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, we are not drama therapists, but we do believe creating good art is inherently therapeutic. Yeah. Uh, so that is, that's where we stand on it. And we will learn much more about that. Also, in this program from the United Kingdom, from London, Telly Nothe, if I pronounce that correctly, Telly, you, you um, had to bring up children with quite serious autistic disorders, but at the same time you are really creating awareness. That must be hard to combine. It is, it, but I don't have a choice. I mean, that's why I sort of call myself the sort of, I've been called an accidental, a hero. I mean, people say to me all the time, how do you do that? I could never do that. It's amazing what you've achieved. But when it's your child, what choice do you have? And it's just, I've just gone out there and done the best that I can. So I have a um, an 18-year-old son who's, who's um, not, he's verbal, but very limited language. Um, he has very high anxiety. So even going through doors is difficult for him when he doesn't even know what's on the other side. Even something like transitioning from one room to another can be very, very difficult for him. Um, so he also has Fragile X, which is a chromosomal disorder, which is, um, I'm a director of the Fragile X Society, so we campaign on raising awareness for that as well. But it is challenging. It's, it's challenging not because of the autism. I don't have a problem with the autism. That That is not an issue. The problem is um, the acceptance and the awareness around us. If, you know, if, um, if we had more acceptance and awareness, my son wouldn't be as anxious 
Yeah. And as unhappy as he is when he goes out into into the community, uh, he feels safer to be at um, at home and things like that, or or indoors. Um, but he goes to an absolutely amazing school in the UK, which is a residential school. And because he has such good care there, um, he's a really really happy boy. But we need to change. Everybody needs to learn more about autism and accept it. It's, I, I don't even like the word disorder. It's just a different way of being. Yes. That's all it is. And we will have a great opportunity to talk more about this. I already saw Teddy applaud by, by some of the words that you were saying about the, uh, the awareness and the acceptance. But I would like to start with Chaitali Sankupta. We had her regularly on the show. She is writing poes, poems besides being an editor and a reporter for Eindhoven News. Uh, Chaitali, your view on autism. And um, I feel very humbled and very honored to be a part of this beautiful show and uh, with, with all of you today on this panel. So uh, basically my uh, viewpoint here would be a poet's viewpoint, you know. Uh, so what we did is, uh, th this, is, this is April, the month of April is actually the National Poetry Month. Uh, so I was actually writing for a particular, uh, a very well-known literary group. And uh, <clears throat> one of the prompts was autism awareness. So this is the poem that I wrote. Uh, this, this poem is actually based on a real life experience of someone very, very close to me. And uh, it is titled as Kind of a Deficit. And it says, it is a kind of deficit they said at school not fit to be with others no not by any rule this tendency of talking too much and not willing to wait her repetitive behavior and unable to concentrate flapping her arms and struggling to learn staring off into space and speaking out of turn she is different No one likes her. Yes, we are sure it is a developmental disorder. Don't you know it will forever stay? It is a form of autism not to be cured in one summer's day. Quietly listening, the mother thinks of the word autism, a label, rejecting her daughter's world, a world She sees through a special lens, a language unique, her vibrant colors different from the trend. In her world, the colors tumble and designs clutter. A battle she fights every day, but nothing can she utter. The mother looks at them, wondering how to explain through that her angel had an uncommon mind, was only a bit different from you. Anguished in bitter pain, she begged for a space. They told her, no, a regular school is not your daughter's place. Come, my child, she says then, create a world of your own where you won't be judged, shunned, or nor be made forlorn. Let your pure innocence burst forth with your dreams. Yes, you could make it on your own. 
away from the mainstream. That is that is the those are the lines and I, I, I am not an expert on, on this subject at all, but when I look at the spectrum through my poetic eyes, I see beautiful emotions. I see wonderful expressions of very sensitive minds. And as a common person, my standpoint is we must stop compartmentalizing and labeling children too quickly. That is what my standpoint is and that, that is what today I wanted to share with you all. Thank you for having me here. Thank you. That was really lovely. Thank you. Thank you so much. Really, That's really beautiful. Beautiful, Chaitali. And after reading your poem, it triggered me that, yes, we should, since we have this platform of Radio for Brainport, we should spread more and more awareness and should uh, get such topics on the show. So I'm still having goosebumps after listening to your poem. So coming back to our guests, let me formally introduce you and welcome you all on the show. Telly, Telly Nothe from London. We have a gorgeous and, and an enthusiastic mum of two amazing kids, Taran, 18, and Gina, 16, both wondrous in their own way. Tally is a cognitive hypnotherapist and NLP practitioner. Her son, Taran, has autism and fragile X syndrome. Tally describes herself as an accidental hero. Her life's motto is, we are not less. Let's ask Telly, why has she coined this name, Accidental Hero, for herself? Telly. Well, I, I think I explained a, a, um, a little earlier. Um, it's just how people on the outside see me. They, they see me having to juggle, you know, they've seen or met my son and they've seen how challenging he is, but I still manage to run a business, I still um, do, you know, go on holiday, do all the things that, that everyone else does. And I still fight for my son. Every day is a fight to keep him into school, in his school, um, sort of uh, fighting for um, uh, therapies, fighting for the next stage. Everything is a constant battle. Nothing is given. You notice that when you get a diagnosis for your child with autism, I don't know if it's the same in every country, but you feel like choice is taken away from you. Yeah. You're no longer able to choose what you want for your child. I have a, a daughter who's not autistic, but for her, I can send her to any school. I can chop yeah. and change schools. But with my son, I was told where he was going to go, what therapies he was going to have, everything. And I said, no, that is not what I want. I know my son better than anybody else, and that's yeah. not what I want for him. And so a lot of people, because they've seen me fight and they see me fight on behalf of other people as well, that that's where they sort of they started calling me a hero. And I said, well, it's not by choice. It's a, it's it's just an accident. It, I Accidental didn't do yeah, I didn't choose this path. It, it chose me, yes. but it's fine. Uh, it, it's absolutely fine. It's changed me out of recognition. The person you see today is not the person that was um, here 18, 19 years ago. I am completely different. Yeah. Become a fighter. Yeah. Know, for yeah. for, for, for Very. my and other people's children as well. Very well said. Very well said. I'll come back to you, Telly. Uh, so we have Teddy, Teddy Lytle. 
Teddy Lytle is an award-winning actor, playwright, musician, fight choreographer, and currently associate artistic director of Spectrum Theatre Ensemble, a neurodiverse theatre company. When Teddy is not working at STE, he writes and performs one-man shows talking about his journey with mental illness and addiction. Teddy, I would like to know your inspiration to work in this field. Um, well, as an actor in general, I think it's just I have a disposition for um, desiring a room full of people to sit in the dark, look at me, and quietly listen. Um, but to work specifically in a neurodiverse theater company, uh, there's a term that Clay Martin, who's the artistic director, our leader, essentially, of Spectrum Theater Ensemble, um, who uh, STE is his brainchild, um, is, is we're a hybrid theater. So we do art. We do art at a professional level to serve the community around us. Um, so any play choice we make, any devised piece we're creating, it's to serve our community. And our mission is autism awareness, sensory-friendly programming, um, um, and, and um, employing adults on the spectrum. Because I think something that we also... Uh, was that blew my mind is that you know children on the spectrum become adults on the spectrum and yeah, they want to yeah. see adult stories and they want to work and they want to be independent and there's a lot of fields that um, you know do benefit some stereotypical autism traits but we're also trying to show that if you want to be an actor and you just have a passion there's a place for you here um, and we also think there's a serious lacking of neurodivergent stories. And when you get to see yourself reflected um, on stage, like the impact I've seen that we've had by simply doing good theater for mm -hmm. our community, people come and expect to see something because they're like, oh, it's an all ability theater, or it's like, this is a disability camp. Like, no, we did One yeah. Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and mm -hmm. it was awesome. I'm not trying to toot my own horn because I got to play Mac in that production, but it it was a very ensemble piece and 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 it was a really cool production. People walked away from it and enjoyed it. And there was space for you to, as an audience member, have uh, neurodivergent issues, sensory issues, if you needed to walk out or come back. And as an actor, as a designer, as a stage manager, there's a place for you. And we employ adults on the spectrum, which is, I think, really the most important thing we're trying to do. We find avenues for acceptance and for them to get employed directly. Um, excellent. That's, that's excellent. Yeah, Karishma, yeah. you, you, you uh, took a quote from someone quite famous in this field, Professor Simon Boron-Cohen, and he said, it is yeah. uh, not a disability, but a different ability. So now I can imagine, that he, when you were working with people on the autistic spectrum, did you also see that they had things that possibly other people could do less well or that they're particularly uh, good at? Well, I think it's first important to say that if you meet one person with autism, you met one person with autism. Autism is is the spectrum. You know, the the spectrum which we are all on, whether we're on the autistic portion of it or not. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the spectrum is vast, and so it can display itself in different ways. Um, however, 
Um, and I don't want to fall into a trope, which is, and I apologize if my dogs, I have four dogs in the background. They might join us uh, periodically. <laughs> um, uh, I don't want to fall into what has been kind of already talked about, which is this kind of white upper middle class man um, on the spectrum who's either a savant or who's like a man child. However, there is a member in our company named Daniel Perkins, who, when he was three, was told he would never talk, never develop meaningful relationships, and uh, never be able to live on his own or anything. Um, I can tell you that he talks. Um, the real trouble is getting him to nod. Um, he has an encyclopedic knowledge of musical theater history. Um, and he has perfect pitch. Mm-hmm. And these are, and you know, so his parents believed in him more than doctors did. And I think, um, so, uh, you know, you come across these folks. And also, I think what's an, just, I, I, what I'm trying to say is an important thing is a lot of what I've heard from my colleagues is it's also okay that they're also just, yeah, they are kind of good at some things and they're not great at some other things. Because yeah, they're so also we, just human. We develop on their creativity and we don't go on what they don't have. Right. We build on their creativity and then take things forward from there. Do you do you uh, also believe the same, Tally? And uh, because I wanted to ask you, Tally, that what has been the most helpful for you as a mother navigating the joys and struggles of having a son with autism? Yeah. So I think the the first thing for me was to find other find and talk to other families and parents who have gone through the same thing as I did, because when, you know, at the beginning, you you feel like you're really alone and that can cause a lot of problems. You know, Google becomes your best friend and, yeah, yeah. and you know, and that's not always a good thing. You need to go out there and speak to other people because, you know, like they say, a problem shared is, is far better than just, you know, talking to yourself and, and all of a sudden something becomes far bigger the, than it actually is. And I, but the, I think one of the most important things I think for me and, and what I would suggest for any other um, person going through this at the beginning is to speak to people on the spectrum Go and go out and speak to an autistic person, you know, and don't be scared. Be curious, you know, ask questions, you know, engage and you'll realize what, you know, that, you know, they're probably just the same as you, most of them, you know, and all you'll find something wondrous and amazing. I work with um, a gentleman called Paul Isaacs who I highly recommend, you know, you look up and he's um, an advocate, a speaker, and he's an ambassador for the charity that I I work for. And I have learned so much from him that has helped me understand my son, which I would never have got from a textbook or a scientist or anything. And he just says, oh, it's only because Taryn's feeling like this. That's it. So don't worry about it. It's fine. And it's like, oh, okay, I get it now. So I can understand and I can make reasonable adjustments at home or when we go out to make sure that, you know, Taryn is fine. But speaking to to Paul has been the key to to the success and 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 making my life uh, a lot a lot better. Um, and I think also I've been very lucky of having a, a supportive family, you know, both my family and my husband's family. What they did is when my son was diagnosed with autism, they didn't even 
you know, it didn't bother them. It was nothing. They still saw Taryn. They still saw the yeah, boy yeah. there before the diagnosis yeah. was given. And because of that, and because they treated him no differently, when Taryn is with them, he just feels so relaxed, yeah. so at ease. He's a completely different child. You mm-hmm. take him out of that and you take him out where people look at him if he's stimming or if he's jumping or whatever. It's awful because he's he's like I'd say a lot of the autistic people who are like my son that I that and families I work with are empaths. They have the ability to feel other people's emotions before they feel them themselves. So, So my son picks up on how I feel. So, you know, when we go out, when people are nervous around him or feeling jittery around him or or scared of him, then he starts to react and he mirrors that, but it's amplified because he doesn't understand. But put him with my parents, he's a complete, he is himself. He is a beautiful young man who is gentle, uh, affectionate, very, very funny, Um, but a lot of don't get to see that um so those are the the things i suppose that i found really helpful is support getting the right support speaking to the right people and actually speaking to people on the spectrum itself i think is the key so i believe you know uh, as i was reading and going through um, all the studies and all the research papers so non-autistic people should be trained oh definitely yeah they should be trained yeah even even the police, the firemen, these basic people, yeah, they should exactly. be trained to how to uh, deal with the autistic well, Our people. prisons are filled with people on the spectrum who shouldn't be in prison. And the charity that I work for, we do go into prisons and, and try and train the police force. And we, we speak to, to uh, as many people as we can in hospitals and uh, everywhere, it, you know, we need to raise this awareness. There is a sense of urgency, in my opinion, it, and it's it's so important that we do so. And, and Teddy, you were going to say you you agreed with, with that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we're also we're doing a production later this year called The Exonerated, which focuses on uh, it's a documentary play about real people who were put on death row and later even sometimes posthumously exonerated, and you know how it meets up with our mission is. Um, yes, it's obviously a BIPOC issue in America and everything, but there's a plenty of neurodivergent folks, uh, people on the spectrum who were killed yeah. because, and they did not entirely understand any of the situation. Yeah. Uh, and, and that is, I'm not trying to say that as a blanket statement over um, autism in general, because there are absolutely people on the spectrum who would comprehend a situation like that, like who might, you know, if um, it is, it's a complicated issue, but society really needs to understand that neurotypicality yeah. doesn't actually exist yeah. and, and society needs to adjust. And what, what we're trying to do at Spectrum Theater Ensemble, because while we have our professional performances, we also have developed a nice program, which is called, it's neurodiverse, inclusive, certified entertainment. So we're, we're trying to create theaters, museums, community centers, any place where people gather together in a social setting, you can get rating, graded, and uh, training to make it a more sensory-friendly environment and more neurodivergent inclusive. Um, And it's not that much. 
And you know what that does also is it creates jobs for neurodivergent people in museums and mm -hmm. in theaters so that mm -hmm. they can help front of house, back of house, design. Um, in all of our shows, we have a little red light in the corner that just warns you before an intense moment. It has not once, my parents didn't even notice it. Like we tell, we're able to have a great experience for everybody, but it also just includes more people. If you have PTSD, if you've been to war, a loud noise can seriously affect you. And that makes it so it's hard to go to a show. You don't know if there's a gunshot in it, if there's flashing lights. Um, if you have a little warning, you can be prepared for it. You can go and enjoy an adult show. You can mm -hmm. take your, your, your child on the spectrum out, know that they can be in a space where it's accepted. They might move, they might be on their phone to engage in a sensory activity and it's, it's accepted. And it's all it is is re-evaluating the rules, at least in, in my position, the, the rules of theater or of entertainment. Like asking people to sit quietly for an hour is, exclusive. If you're saying that's the best and if you really need to get up and leave, you can come back. It, does that have to be such a big deal to change? Yeah. Um, so we don't need to fix the symptoms. We should actually, uh, you know, uh, the society has to change their perception. Uh, we are not supposed to fix. There's nothing. There's no cure. We are yeah. not supposed to fix them. We are supposed to accept them and change ourselves. What exactly. I. Uh, That's what we were saying. Exactly what Teddy was saying is all we need to make is small, reasonable adjustments. Yeah. Yeah. So yes. having that light. You know, mm. it doesn't bother anybody, but it helps a lot of people. That so is. it's not complicated. It's not rocket science. It's just common sense, in my opinion. Yes. And and again, I'll say, you know, I went, I, I moved here to Providence, Rhode Island to go to Brown University Trinity Rep, which is a really reputable school in America for acting. And I went to get my MFA in acting. I was planning on moving to L.A., to go to New York, to sell socks, to be in commercials, to do that thing, you know? And I did one play, Clay cornered me and was like, I have this idea, I want, it. I want you to do this theater company with me. And I did one play with them. And I'm telling you, it was the best theater I've ever done in my life. It didn't feel like anything was lacking. And all we had to do was at the beginning, start with this little project, which is what do you need and what can you provide? Mm -hmm. So. So if you need, if you're having a sensory moment, if you need space, this is a chance to say it. If, uh, if a firm hug is what would help you in that moment, you get to say that. For my sake, if, was, if I'm having a cigarette outside, I don't want to talk to anybody. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what I need in that moment. Yeah, what can I, and, but, but then you're also able to say, what can I provide? That's where I learned Dan has perfect pitch. That's where, you know, I was able to say, you know, I write poetry um, as well and I, did truly love that poem at the beginning of this uh, segment. But, and Teddy, kept... Teddy, sorry, Paul, go on. Go okay, on. I, yeah. I wanted to give an example from an experience that I had in Philip's research. Uh, many reorganizations occur there regularly, and on one day there was a reshuffling of research groups, and there was one of the senior researchers who was introducing wonderful work that he was doing, apparently a very focused person, and at the end he, he said, I am a certified authorist. Um, apparently he was proud about it, but it was also a bit, uh, or at least I interpret it as a kind of warning. You have to treat me in a special way. And also a bit like, um, and I have the right to 
to misbehave, but I may completely misinterpret that and I may use absolutely the, the wrong words for it. But do you think it's a good idea if someone really speaks out and say, I am proud to be an artist? Absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah, sorry. I, I, I would just say um, our resident playwright, Dave Osmondson, is uh, on the spectrum. Um, He writes beautiful plays. He's queer, so he he has this really unique perspective. Um, he was a and he was a professor. He was a TA while he was getting you know he he just got his um, he just finished grad school, and he they had, were introducing the teachers to the class, and they said like say something interesting about you. He honestly didn't think about it. He was like oh, you know I I don't know I'm you know I'm going to be your playwriting assistant, and I'm on the spectrum. He just said it because he couldn't think of anything else. He didn't mean to like announce it or to brag about it or to like label it. And four students came up to him and thanked him because they're so nervous about talking about being on the spectrum mm, yeah. and that they thought it would disqualify them from being in the arts if they had shared with their friends and with the class. But the fact that they were being taught by someone on the spectrum who was being loud and proud. Um, comfortable. I, they were comfortable with him. I totally. And and I think I don't think saying you're on the spectrum is uh, is an excuse to misbehave. I do think it is. It could a warning might be <laughs> a fair, if not dramatic way. But like you know, I'm on the spectrum. So you know, metaphors, maybe speaking, you know, being direct. Maybe don't worry about being polite. Like I've learned, being direct and blunt with my friends on the spectrum gets us there way faster and they're not affected in the same way that I might be if someone was so direct mm -hmm. and so blunt. And again, not to generalize, everyone's different. Everyone has their sensitivities, but mm -hmm. I think, you know, I said something like, you know, to kill two birds with one stone in a, in a company meeting once. And I realized that there was half the group sitting there visualizing literally killing two birds with one stone and wondering why that is a benefit to anybody, <laughs> not thinking about the metaphor of it, thinking about like, no, but if you'll have to do one after the other and how are you killing these, you know, like, you know, there are, there are certain language things that can be barriers because just the way they process and the way they think, which also can be totally magical as well. Mm -hmm. I never thought about how violent killing two birds with one stone <laughs> really is. <laughs> But uh, Telly, I would, uh, Telly, uh, I wanted to ask you, so early diagnosis, like just Sean Paul just said that, you know, if uh, the, the anybody's uh, saying that I am autistic. So if we actually really early diagnosis helps or then, or we say that, you know, early labeling, Uh, will not help. Yeah. It's you know, a really a thin line between it's them. There is a definite thin line. There's positives and negatives to, to all of that. So, so the positive of early diagnosis is that you'll get hopefully the help and the support that you need, the speech and language therapy, perhaps the occupational therapy, or or it allows you to um, sort of understand your child and say, yeah, he's on the spectrum. So this is how. This is what I need to do or whatever. But it's also a, a great hindrance as well because people put yeah. you in boxes. Yeah. And, and as soon as you say that, that's it. You're all of a sudden you're you've got a ceiling, you know, that there's a glass ceiling there. And I think that the, the guy that you that you were talking about who shouted out, I'm autistic and whatever, perhaps it's almost like it, now that there seems to be a tipping point where we're now proud to, to say that I am autistic and I'm proud of it. 
whereas before it was something almost to be ashamed of and it was it was hidden but now things are changing and it's something that yeah well why not you know I'm proud of who I am and and that's you know and and remove this glass ceiling so things are changing but it's it's it really is a difficult one because as soon as you do get that and it is a label as soon as you get that schools and whatever they already have decided that this is as far as you were going to go mm-hmm. you know, yeah. it was the same for me when my son received his diagnosis i was told straight away that my son would never talk. He would never be aware of anyone else in the room uh, to basically forget about him and focus on my daughter. And that's what that was the the, the switch that was flipped in me when they said that. I, I went from being somebody who was very passive and very tame to being like, you say that to me again and I'm yeah. going to stop you. And I said, yeah. how do you know that that's... Yeah what's going to happen and they said well you know that's what the research says and that's whatever and I could not believe you know that that's what they were saying and and from that I realized you know as I started studying NLP and and, and cognitive hypnotherapy that I now can identify parents when I meet them on who's going to be successful in getting what they want for their child and which ones aren't just on on the way they behave and the way they speak. So some parents become fighters and will defend their child and get everything they can for them. And others will accept that diagnosis. And then that that ceiling stays there. So, you know, parents, you know, you know your child better than anybody else. And encourage them, give them the right environment, give them the love and the support that they Mm -hmm. need. And they will surprise you. My son surprised me. You know, now, you know, again, he's one of these kids. Uh, the first time I had to, uh, that I realized, you know, you know he, he just wouldn't stop talking. And I had to turn around and say, Taryn, will you just be quiet for one minute? And I thought, oh, my God. Uh, I thought, mm. you know what? I never thought I'd see the day yeah, that I could yeah. say that. And that's, you know, what I try to tell parents, please, you know, when you receive this diagnosis, you know, don't make it a, a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, do what you can. Get as much help as you can. Talk to other people. But just love your child. And, and you know, you, you, they'll, they will surprise you. We need more parents and more mums like you, Telly. They're out really. there. They're out there. It, it's just, I don't know what happened. There was that switch that was flicked. And now... Yeah, I'm but because if you, at that time, if you would have been like chosen that path, that no, it's all gone. It's not yeah. there. All negativity. Yeah. Uh, then things would have been totally Very different. Telly, do, do I... Oh, sorry. Do I also hear some mild criticism on the medical system because they they do yeah. not get from the children the mm-hmm. best they could get out of it? Would, would you uh, recommend another way of treatment? Well, what I what I see is that when the diagnosis comes, my son came with a price tag on him. He costs the local authority money. You know, he is a burden now because he needs specialist support. He needs. Uh, speech and language, occupational therapy, he needs a psychologist, he needs all of this stuff. So he he becomes a burden. And even doctors don't get that much training. They don't understand the condition. So it's 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 a really hard one and 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 sort of i'm fighting and 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 it's you know fighting to to change the system and and have more understanding and and more awareness but 
at the moment, I'm still not happy with what's going on out there. And and when I speak to parents and I support parents, it's it's scary what little knowledge people have and, and how they're imposing things on on families um, just because you know they're, they're trying to fit square pegs into round holes. They're not adapting for our children. <clears throat> To some extent, I hear you say, trust your own feelings. You know your child best. So go best, for the things yeah. that, 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 that you believe will uh, will work. I can also med- med- imagine that Teddy Idol would have some ideas about what could be uh, could, could be done. But maybe still a question to you then. Among other small children of the same age, does that help? Because as Teddy said, they will be very open. They will respond in a very direct way and, and, and give right, the interaction yeah. that helps. But they can also be painfully blunt and 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 really um, harm a, a small kid in in in. Actually, in my question, my question was about to come the same, but a little different language. The challenges, Teddy, which you face, Teddy Little. Well, so first, actually, I here the thing that isn't a challenge is. Um, When I talk to people about using theater, creating more neurodivergent voices in the Western canon, you know, uh, making a neurodiverse environment that's uh, creative, everyone, everyone, I I was a Lyft driver here for a while, like a taxi driver. I, you know, everyone, I talked to a lot of strangers randomly. Everyone thought it was cool. So that, that's the one challenge we don't have is that we have this cool idea of merging, um, Adults on the autism, getting more jobs for them, and art. Um, Challenges are we do have to make accommodations. We have to think about it. Like our rule is if you have to step away, try to find your way back in. Um, We aren't able to to do as many productions because we are a younger company right now too. So many of our company members who we've been in essence training for professional environments, like our hope is that they'll be able to go and audition other places, um, open about their autism or not, up to them. Um, But we do have to like take our time. We do need professional support. We need people to finance us. Um, But Frankly, when it comes to a theatrical, artistic, collaborative environment, my autistic fellows, are they cut so much time. We don't waste time. I mean, we obviously sometimes get into conversations about this, that, or the other thing that, that goes on. Um, and you may have noticed I can go on. Uh, but um, with, with, with the ability to be blunt in an environment where also, like, what is theater? Theater is for everybody a practice of empathy. And so particularly if you're on the spectrum, you're able to practice empathy in an inco- a non-consequence, a consequence-free environment. You get to practice your script in a social yeah. interaction and it's consequence-free where you actually get feedback. Um, now, some of these conversations require new vocabulary. We've had to like learn how to talk to a neurodiverse room and that takes time to learn and we're still learning more. I mean, a lot of, and, and, and I, it looks like um, we have someone here who could speak better about the history of that, but like a lot of our history and the studies on autism are, are from a small portion of, of what is actually the autistic community. So we're still learning as a theater company with our mission to spread awareness of how to communicate effectively and 
and how to truly tell an authentic, responsible neurodivergent story. Um, so I think, you know, that's part of the challenge too, is I'm still learning too. Um, I, I think we're all learning um, together. Yeah. In the meantime, Barry Prasant has um, joined us. Thank you for joining us as well from the United States with a time difference. And I also think, Barry, that may have been the difference, the reason why you uh, dialed in at a different moment. Welcome. It was. Thank you very much. You are uh, very experienced uh, doing research in this field. And uh, just a while ago, we were, uh, uh, Telly made a statement about uh, Mums and dads should also believe their own feelings in how they can, uh, can, can grow up a child, in contrast possibly to uh, what a medical system has time to do. One of your most cited papers is about a diagnosis of autism. And the only thing I know about the diagnosis of autism is uh, the Sally and Anne test, Anne where, test, where Sally has a, dog, a, a doll and puts it in, 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 in a basket and then Anne puts it in a different basket. And the question then is, where will Sally such a very simple test? But apparently, and I think that's also what, what Teddy said, there is not one type of autistic person. So, um, right. But how important is it to, to spend a lot of time as you write in your papers to, to really go for the very precise diagnosis? Uh, I think it's important, uh, especially in this day and age, it's very important for people, children, and then adults on the spectrum to uh, understand their diagnosis. Uh, there are many reasons why a diagnosis is important. Um, one reason in many countries, especially in the U.S., It, it opens the door for appropriate funding for services and for educational programs. But even uh, one thing that's happening very much so, in, in, uh, especially in the United States, in Canada, uh, we're having a lot of adults who are not diagnosed, who are reading about autism and who are seeing characteristics in themselves um, and both Teddy and I, and we work together, um, we know a lot of adults on the spectrum, and it's so important for a person to understand, you know, why they react certain ways in the world, why some things are confusing, why they're very good at some things. Um, so to have that balanced perspective of kind of understanding yourself, mm -hmm. diagnosis has come to be very, very important, not only to get appropriate supports and services, but also for people to be self-aware, to have a good sense of who they are, why they are good at some things, why some things are challenging, and then be able to self-advocate, go out and get what they need. I, are you saying that the diagnosis is something that is a joint activity of the doctor and the, the, the person on the spectrum in order to learn about himself, or is it just a medical indication and then uh, you know what the treatment could be as a professional? Uh, Yeah, that, that's it, it's an interesting question because there are more and more people now who are not diagnosed on the spectrum, but they self-diagnose, even without medical professionals or other people being involved. Then they may go and get a formal diagnosis by going to a clinic or speaking to somebody who knows about autism. But we do know that getting started earlier is one of the factors that helps people develop well to get the right supports. 
So in some cases, that's only in a medical setting because it might be a two or a three or a four-year-old child and the parents are confused. They don't understand what they're seeing. Um, so going to a hospital, going to a clinic, going to a professional can be very helpful. A very good evening, Dr. Barry, and welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Yeah, I am very, very, in fact, we all are very excited to know about your recent book, Uniquely Human. Yes. It is, it is a groundbreaking book on autism, and you have portrayed autism not as a tragic disability, but as a unique way of being human. So please tell us more about your book and how parents, carers, teachers, doctors can benefit from reading your book. Uh, yeah, well, the book is literally, it's a storybook. It's stories of all of the people, um, children, families, um, people on the autism spectrum of all ages, uh, and what I've learned from them over the years. So it's too often there's a very, very negative portrayal that's mm -hmm. given to parents when their child is diagnosed. Mm -hmm. And that's not helpful. First of all, it takes away hope. Mm -hmm. um, it, it causes a lot of stress and a lot of grief for parents. And in my experience, um, I started out as a teenager. And so I am in my 50th year working mm -hmm with children and people with autism or knowing children and people with autism. Um, and in my experience, it's not, in most cases, the great tragedy that it's portrayed as. Mm -hmm. So many parents are often told, don't expect that your child will have a good quality of life. You know, years ago, not so much anymore, but in the past, your child should be put away in an institution or a special place. That's almost what we hear from Telly. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's my story. Yeah. Oh, it is. Uh, sorry, I missed that part. Yeah. Okay. I just feel fantastic because you're just reinforcing what I said. So it's fantastic. Yes. And, and uh, again, you know, a lot of what I write in the book Uniquely Human is what I hear from parents that, you know, they say, you know, we just got all of these negative predictions about what's going to happen to my child. Now, I'm fortunate enough that I... I still know people who I first met when they were three and four years of age and they're in their thirties now. Mm. And I've seen how much they have progressed, the progress they're making. And it doesn't mean people, just people who are highly verbal, who have a lot of language. I know people who have more limitations than that, but with the right support, they still have a good quality of life um, in many different ways. And, and so, uh, you know, one of the things that I've learned from is that for 25 years, we've been doing a parent retreat. Like one weekend a year, we get together with 50 or 60 parents. And I get to hear the parents every year say, you know, they said this about my son when he was six years of age. And he's 25 now and he works as an artist or as a musician mm -hmm. or he works at a, a, a shop that sells gardening equipment. Um, and so many parents say, my son or daughter proved them wrong again. Mm -hmm. That so often the progress is so much beyond what is predicted when the child is very young. Yeah. What are the essential success factors in, 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 
achieving that? Is that support from parents? Uh, that's one of them. Absolutely. There are, there are many success factors. I think one of them is getting started early, but that's not the only one. Okay. Because mm -hmm. I know children and people on the spectrum sometimes who make their most progress when they're 10, 12, 14 years of age, mm -hmm. and they go on from there. Um, so that, that's a very, very important factor. Family involvement is very, very important. Um, and I don't mean the family or the parents have to be teachers. It's that they keep their kids engaged in activities, in family activities. Very, very important. Um, I, I think at the end of my book, Uniquely Human, I have a bunch of frequently asked questions. And one of the questions is, what advice would you give to parents if you could give one yeah. bit of advice? And I say, get your kids out into the world with the right support. Sometimes it may be difficult. If it's a very busy, noisy environment, the child might be too sensitive to the sensory issues. But we don't want to, as the, we like to say, we don't want to throw them into the lake and say, sink or swim. Mm. We want to do it a little bit at a time, expose the child to new situations a little bit at a time. But mm. being out in the world helps you learn about other people, about everything you learn in life by being out in the world. Um, sometimes I, you know, we need to say, I will say to a parent, it may not be easy all the time, but take it one step at a time and do that. That's important. Could I actually just, on, yeah, on this, yeah, on this sure. subject, um, because I deal with, you know, adults on the spectrum, and, I, and Barry, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think something that might not necessarily be a success factor, but can absolutely be an avoidable risk or challenge in the future is forcing masking is either masking a stim masking behavior trying and and when i say masking what that is to say is to for like someone on the spectrum to be acting like they're not right. or to, to try to cover up, cover up a repetitive yeah. activity and i think it is so detrimental to people's health i think it is so upsetting to see later in life, them coming yeah. back, regressing, being able to re-engage in, in a positive STEM activity and seeing them just like relax. I have, mm -hmm. I have fr direct friends of mine who I've witnessed this happen mm -hmm. where they re-engaged in an old stimming pattern that they've masked. And like, I can just see tension in their face released, like 20 years of tension just released. Um, I just, but like, that seems just something important to me. Uh, I would really uh, quickly, because we are short on time, want to uh, say, uh, tell you about Tally, um, uh, you know, Tally uh, Berry, she's from London. And mm -hmm. this wonderful mom is not only thinking about the present, you know, she uh, she's not only thinking about the present, but at the same time about the future of her son. Her futuristic approach in life will leave us thinking about our future goals. Telly, quickly, I would like to know, please yeah. share with us your freedom of thrive uh, freedom uh, project. Yeah, so it's yeah, very, very quickly. So my biggest fear is what happens when I'm not here. When, yeah. when I've gone, what happens to my son? And my biggest fear is for him to be looked after by the local authority that can pull funding at any time. He could be moved from one place to another. And, and there, you know, there's some 
scary stories about what could happen. So what I've done is, is, is that I'm working on a project called Freedom to Thrive, because that was the words that kept coming up every time I spoke about my son or anyone else was they need the opportunity and all everything to allow them to thrive. They need that freedom to thrive. So what I'm going to do is, is that we're setting up a community where families can live together and support mm-hmm. Other, where um where you know we all work to you know it's it's so difficult at the moment um you know because i want to stay with my son later on but i also because the options that i have is either assisted living putting him into care or he can stay at home but it's going to be difficult without the support so having a community where we can all live together and and share support but also as I get older um, and I can't look after him there will be another unit there where we will slowly be separated so we can see each other but there's not going to be that sudden sort of me disappearing and then you know him wondering what's happened but what we're doing is we're looking at um, we're working with artists as well So at the hub of this community is um, a collection of artists. They're called Artistic, and um, they are going to be living there and working there. So they will be be providing jobs. It's going to be eco-friendly. We've got a whole load of people who are interested in working on this project where we can look after you know, where we can live happily, where we can, you know, I know it's it sounds all idealistic, but I've got to start somewhere and show people that if we create something where the anxiety is lowered um, and, you know, my son will have a much happier, hopefully, um, uh, better life. But, you know, it's difficult to explain really, really quickly. It's quite a complex thing that we're doing. And indeed on our live program on Radio for Brain for that story of Telly Nothe is uh, something that we cannot do before the nine o'clock news uh, on this live program thanks to Barry Present, Teddy Lytle um, and of course Telly Nothe. Chaitali Sankupta and Karishma Vich and Stephen Ariantu, thank you also very much for this program. But of course we continue to record the podcasts as we have a number of interesting stories to uh, to share. The expat station from the city of life. Uh, it almost sounds like it is something that uh, would be helpful in Eindhoven as well. We have very high statistics on people with at least some degree being somewhere on, on the spectrum. Yeah. Some of them performing very well. They may be uh, top scorers in, in making inventions for companies like ASML, Philips, NXP and, 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 and so on. It's a region yeah. where this may be yeah. pretty interesting. Yeah, so sorry, I just rambled there because trying to get it out in a couple of seconds yeah. is difficult. Yeah. But it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's this fear that, that of, of losing control of what's going to happen to my son in the future. So I have to create something because the options that I have are not, are not good options. So I have to create something. So I've got together with like-minded people. So, you know, the, the gentleman I was talking about before, Paul Isaacs, who, who is autistic himself, wants to be part of this community. He wants to live there. He wants to, uh, you know, sort of help mm-hmm. build it up. But also the artists as well. And, and it's just just trying to work out what other options that we have where we can control it so that, you know, it's not going to be taken out of our hands 
So, you know, we're speaking to as many people as we can to put pull together ideas of, of what we can of what we can do. Because at the moment, my son costs the local authority probably, I'd say, quarter of a million pounds a year. So to support him in the, the school that he's at. So if we could create something where mm -hmm. I can look after him with support as well, we would be saving local authority millions of pounds. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's still in its infancy, but, you know, we, we've got quite a lot of interest. Yeah, yeah that, this is, uh, I mean, the term community is the essential term here. And I think communities could happen at different levels, like the Spectrum Theater Ensemble has become a community. But in the United States, I know a dad who started a community. I can give you the information. It's called Cape Cod Village. Ooh. And it's it's in a small town in Massachusetts. And there are five group residences for people on the spectrum. But it's right in the middle of the town. There, And they have a, a community center that's shared with all the members of the town. Yeah. There are one or two settings like that that are affiliated with universities. Mm -hmm. uh, where it's part of kind of the, it, not so much on a campus, but it's part of the larger university community where students are available and it's mixed, you know, it, it's people from the community living in apartments with people on the spectrum with support. Yeah. So this is, as you said, this is, the need is great, but the models are just being developed. And it sounds like what you're doing is wonderful. I mean, I it's- a lot of families want to stay with their their uh, their child. How, it doesn't matter how old my son will get; he will always be my my baby. So right. I, I want to stay because I see a lot of families when um, their kids are living in assisted living or they're living in care homes, but they're constantly worrying about them. You know, constantly worrying: Are they okay? Are they being treated well? Are they getting their their medications? Are they? being you know doing things that they love but they're so far away from them they can't do that so the parents quality of life diminishes because they're they're in constant constant stress so all living together like the way i was brought up sort of in asian families we stayed together for as long as we can so yeah, you know, yeah. sort of you know we, we live with our grandparents and everybody stays together and it was you know, growing up was absolutely fantastic because we had that support. Yeah, right. I, uh, and and I'd like to sort of recreate a place where families can support each other. Um, and at the moment, there isn't. I haven't seen that model. I've seen where I can send my son away, uh, and and he can live, and they and he'd be sort of supported and looked after, but not one where families collectively live together. Not in the UK, anyway. Mm -hmm. You know, what, what I'm thinking about with that idea, is too, is just like, I want the, the beautiful opportunity for, you know, the people who that community would be directly serving to serve that community. Like, I think your son would be able to, as like, definitely like you being a founding person of this idea, mm, yeah. take up responsibilities, you yeah. know, be a group activities, uh, you know, create like you know create like a ping pong tournament like you know yeah. like what are like different things that like that also creates a social environment yeah. that i think then that unit can go like barry was saying bring them all out and in doses experience 
you know, the park, go to the museum, experience things. Yeah. And like yeah. with, with your pack, you know, with like, you got your, you got your buddy by your side. It's so much easier to yeah. go through something scary. Yeah. And it's also, I believe in continued education as well. Why does education sort of stop at, at, at you know, 18 for my son? He's still learning. And I believe in sort of pedagogy. <laughs> you know, where he learned in the natural environment. So I think that's what you, you, you were talking about, Dr. Dr. Barry, so, sort of, you know, sort of, sort of rather than sitting in a classroom and learning, he goes out and learns in the natural environment and, and sort of he it will absorb it because he understands why he is learning what he is learning rather than something from a textbook or a, or a, or a flashcard or something which doesn't mean anything to him. He can learn by rote but that doesn't mean anything. So I want to create a place where 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 he will have continued learning because he will be learning forever. But you know, it continued. It will never stop. So that I don't know, you know, where he'll be when he's thirty or whatever. If we continue to teach him and continue to to um, you know sort of encourage him to learn things, where will he be? It's quite interesting. And, you know, there's another element to this as well. When you think about living communities, I mean, there still is, you know, despite the changes that we've seen in our understanding of autism, there still is the stigma in many, many cases. And when you have people living in the mainstream, living in the community, um, maybe working in some jobs that is a good fit for their abilities, and there's that flow back and forth between the community and people on the spectrum, then that automatically decreases stigma. It gets rid of this notion that autism is just nothing but devastating and a tragedy um, and that their people on the spectrum are just a drain on society. You know, we have to continue to build that giving back. And it, it could happen with the Spectrum Theater Ensemble. It happens mm. through theater. Um, it could happen in so many ways. But my experience is when I see people who don't have that, kind of pure pathology view of autism, it's when they've spent time with autistic people. It's that mm -hmm. simple. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. so that has to increase more and more. Can I extend that also to uh, the, the high-tech region in Eindhoven, where for sure we get signals that people with mild autism could be very good software programmers, could do wonderful work in doing inventions at uh, some of the companies here. I can imagine that people with, let's say, uh, mild symptoms, but being very focused, being able to to to, to go deep in, into a lot of, of technical aspects could be really a benefit for these companies and that it could also be in their interest to, to organize something. And, and, that, and that is beginning to happen. A, a number, and actually we hear about it, you know, every month there's an, a a new high-tech company, you know, Microsoft. Um, there are so many companies in the Hewlett-Packard, I believe, where they really are putting in supports in place for people on the spectrum so they can succeed in the areas that they have, you know, where it's a good match for their brain wiring in terms of being able yeah. to do that. I mean, and that's so important. Everybody, every person on earth does better and what they're doing in their life is a good match for their brain yeah. function structure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so we have to think of it that way. Uh, Dr. Barry, I would uh, really uh, like you to uh, tell us about your miracle project. I have really, you know, researched and uh, I want to know from you what, what exactly is this miracle project? Uh, yeah, first of all, it's not my miracle project. Uh, okay. <laughs> it, it was, 
It, it was developed by a mother. Developed. Okay. Uh, okay. Elaine Hall, uh, a mom okay. named Elaine Hall. Uh, okay. She developed it about 14 years ago in Los Angeles. Okay. Um, and she had adopted a child because she couldn't have kids on her own from Siberia um, who ended up having severe autism. She adopted her son, Neil, at two years of age. Anyway, she had a background in dance and theater for children in film because she lived in Hollywood. Once she had the son, she dropped all of that. Then she went back to it. So it's a theater and expressive arts program for children on the spectrum. Um, we brought this to um, the East Coast of the United States. So we've been doing miracle project programs um, where I live, just north of New York City in Rhode Island for, this was our fourth year. Um, but if you go to their website, you could see everything they do. They, they do performances in major theaters. They write the music for what they're doing. They write the scripts for their yeah, plays. Yeah, I heard um, that in your videos. Yeah. It creates community, kind of similar to what the Spectrum Theater Ensemble does, which is a mm. professional level company. Mm. This creates community for non-professional children, people on the spectrum. One other important point, it's inclusive. It's not just children or adults on the spectrum. At, same thing with the Spectrum Theater Ensemble. It involves people not on the spectrum who are talented in theater, music, dance, and so forth. Mm -hmm. And they don't have to be talented. You can just go in because they're going to enjoy it. Enjoy it. Yeah. yeah. Even, uh, you know, I, while I was reading on the subject, I read about a case uh, I'm sure you all are aware of this. Um, uh, they talked about Gita, uh, Greta Thunberg. Yes. Yeah. 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 The schoolgirl, Swedish, and uh, she's a climate activist. And yes. she spoke about her Asperger's syndrome. And then she calls herself as uh, that uh, ASD children discover their superpowers. Yes. Yeah. 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 And, and yeah, so there are some people on the spectrum who have exceptional abilities. Okay. And Greta Thunberg, I mean, you know, she's going to be a climate scientist. She, she is yeah. an absolute, by any measure, she's yeah. a brilliant young woman by any measure. Um, then we like to talk about it. We have an educational model that we should always, always be looking for children's relative strengths. So it may not be genius level of ability in physics or in computer programming or in you know, climate science. But it's such a benefit to support kids in doing what they love doing and mm -hmm. what they're good at doing. It could be being very good at puzzles. It could be very good at some simple drawings. So this is what is now known as strength-based approaches. Let's not just look at the challenges and the problems. Very often, if you work with the strengths, it could help to overcome some of the challenges. But it's about a child or a person's self-esteem. It's about helping people feel good about themselves, to have a positive sense emotionally of who they are as people. I mean, Teddy could speak to that with some of the people he knows at the Spectrum Theater Ensemble. I was actually, I was actually just thinking about um, when we got started, one of our members was like a little nervous about performing. They had never really done it. But what he did like to do was draw. And mm -hmm. so Clay was like, you know what? Why don't you sit and watch this activity and draw? 
and he drew a spider. And then Clay was like, why'd you draw a spider? He said, he was like, I hate spiders. They scare me and I'm scared right now. And he was like, okay, let's talk about that. We paired him up with the playwright who was there supporting us. He wrote this monologue. He said it holding the piece of paper. He read it out in front of everybody. We were like, wow. that's a cool monologue. We're going to put it in our show. You know, a couple of weeks go by. We're rehearsing the thing. He's still nervous. And he's like, I, I, you know, I wrote this from a, a drawing. And I'm like, yeah, that's okay. And like, if you want to hold it, you can hold it and it's fine. Come opening night. This is live in front of people. This is not dress rehearsal. This is dress rehearsal happened. Opening night. We're there. He goes on stage. He pulls out his thing. He's about to do his monologue. He goes, you know what? I don't need this. And he just chucks the paper wow. away. Wow. And, uh, first, I'll admit, I had a half second backstage going like, oh, my God, the show's never going to end. Like, oh. Adam's going to talk ad an item. We're never going to be able to leave. Uh, word perfect. Nailed it. Um, because it was sourced from him, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Mm -hmm. Like, exactly. It, and, and it was, he got to do it and engage in a new activity, the activity of public speaking, of creating a story from a place he was comfortable with. He didn't want to go and like make a shape in the middle of the circle, which is, I believe, the activity we were doing that day. And so in lieu of that, he drew. And we were still able to find a way to get him in. And not for him to not just get in, but to like get in and intentionally be like, guys, I'm gonna blow your minds, like not using my script. And I just, I said like, Adam, just promise me in the future, if you're ever gonna make a big change like that in the theater <laughs> production, just, just do it during dress rehearsal. That is the time to make big choices. <laughs> um, but I, I really um, I wonder how the parents uh, feel, no, of these children. What are their reactions when they see uh, their children on the stage in front of the audience? Yeah, it's well, unbelievable. It's absolutely amazing. And, um, you know, getting back to the Miracle Project, there was a movie made about the development of the Miracle Project. It's called Autism the Musical. And it, it came out 10, 12 years ago. Um, it won, it was on HBO on television in the United States. It won all kinds of awards. I'm mentioning that because not only do you follow the journey of six children on the spectrum, but you follow the journey of the families. Mm. Um, and at the end, I don't want to give it away, but at the end of the movie, you see the family's reaction to the play that the children are putting on. And it's just tears and just everybody, the gratitude. Mm. They're seeing their kids do things that they never could dream that their kids mm. would be able to do. Overwhelming. Um, yeah. Um, and, it's, and we see that with our Miracle Project program. It's absolutely amazing. Um, it, it's just, it, and in many ways, it supports the parents' intuition. That very often the parents see the potential. They see that their child could go so much further than anybody says. But we have to create those opportunities with the right support. Uh, I think Telly, you also have done this uh, autism yeah. talent in so, London. Yeah. So, yeah, so for the charity that I work, we do we do have an Autism's Got Talent show, which yep. um, we actually have in one of the top London theatres, the Mermaid Theatre, because we wanted a platform 
that was equal to any other platform. We, we yes. wanted to, to treat that, you know, why shouldn't we have the best for our children? And again, at the beginning, we were criticised and people were saying it's not going to work, the sensory issues, what are you going to do about this? Then it's never going to happen. And my God, this is the best thing I do every year. And, you know, not once have we had an issue with any one of the performers. We've got dancers, singers, magicians, storytellers, actors, poets, uh, artists, and they all come and they're all just so eager. And once they get out on stage, it's just, oh, my God, it's just there isn't a dry eye in the house ever. And we've made it, you know, we, you know, like Teddy was saying, we've adjusted the theatre so that people can walk in and out at any time and there's no problem. So people can enjoy the show. So, you know, it's, we, we, we have a, a young gentleman who's performed Martin Finn, who's non, generally non-verbal, uh, needs 24 hour support, two to one support. But you put him, you know, uh, uh, the first time I saw him, the parents walked him onto the stage they walked away, the spotlight went on him, and all of a sudden he stopped rocking, his hands came down, and he sounded like, um, what's his name, from Coldplay. And he sang one of his Chris songs. And, uh, yeah, Chris Martin. And we all just, our jaws just dropped. We wow. were just crying. But he was in his element, the joy on his face to be allowed to do something like that. And that happens with every single one of our performers. They don't want to come off the stage um, because they're not actually allowed to do this anywhere else. Because, again, I've been talking about the glass ceiling that comes with the diagnosis sometimes that people say that, you know, I don't think they're going to be able to do that. So we're not going to put on a show like this. And, and we've proved them wrong year after year. And it's just... <laughs> The best thing that, that we do. I absolutely love it. I think I just I just had a thought, but really briefly before that thought, I think any anytime someone says like you know you get that glass ceiling, as particularly in the performing arts, uh, Anthony Hopkins was diagnosed in two thousand three, I believe, and mm -hmm. he just won an Academy Award. I know those are you know that in the, in, in, they're in the Americas. They are problematic in and of themselves, but. Anthony Hopkins is on the spectrum and is, is, you know, is my, is the true Hannibal Lecter in my heart, you know, like is an actor of such repute. So mm -hmm. that ceiling, the, the ceiling's been broken and these people didn't even know it. Yeah. Um, but I did, I did want to say, so with spectrum theater ensemble are, we're working with adults. Most of the people we're with are post-college 20 to thirties, but there is a slight change in the reaction of the families that it's not so much like, oh, yay, you can do it, because this is something some of them went to school for it. <laughs> um, what it. What is awesome to see is that I what I see is after the show, I see the parents like greet, greet their kid, their, their, well, their adult son or daughter, like walk off and look at them interacting with other people. And it's like they see that other people have respect for their, for their child mm -hmm. as an adult, that other people are coming and talking to them like, you played Ruckley. It was really, like, you did this. Oh, I loved this moment. And that they're just as, you know, I'm, I can tell you, any actor will tell you that after the theater part, when you greet people is the worst. You're, you have no script. And uh, 
you know, it's, you can be terribly awkward and, and to see all these people neurodivergent and neurotypical together as a unit, I could see in these parents' eyes as like, they found, they found their, their squad. They have a squad. They have a whole group of people that have their back. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, and we're tight. We're, we're, we're brothers and sisters and friends. Like we're really close. And 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 that that is really cool to see parents actually like not think that their adult child would have adult relationships. Yeah. Like we went, we go out to this place that's called Barcade because not you know I I don't drink and um, many of the uh, people on the spectrum don't drink. Um, one of my friends Dan Boyle says like I find the world confusing enough. I don't need a I don't need to level it up to like <laughs> level ten. I can, I'm already trying to play the game on easy, um, and. But we go to this place, Barcade. It has video games and it has drinks and pizza. Um, it's uh, we have headphones that like we'll share with people if like the if it's a little too much. But we've never really had an issue because we just go and hang out, mm-hmm. and like yeah. that's some of the most important stuff that I've found because like I have fun. I it's not work. It's like it's just mm-hmm. like any other theater project yeah. I've done, where you go out and have a have a have a dress party rehearsal party and you have a after party and the and you have the the after after party you know, it was same stuff it's just like the activities are more inclusive mm-hmm. and the conversations end up being deeper if i'll be honest mm-hmm. um, with all your all the experts here we can go on and on because all of us are passionate on the same subject i believe mm-hmm. but I would really say thank you to each one of you, Dr. Barry, Telly, Teddy, Stephen, Chetali. That I, what I, you know, after uh, re- doing all the research, I just wrote a few lines which I want to share uh, uh, myself. After talking to all of you, all the experts, the heroes, let's see autism as an added topping on your desert which will make your desert more delicious, more exciting and different. And different is not a bad thing. Very well said. Thank you. Thank you all. And I hope Radio for Brainport and all of us together have um, taken a small step towards spreading awareness on autism. Station.